the days are coming when I will fulfill the promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. Well, it's almost Christmas, and obviously this Christmas is special because it holds special opportunity given the experience of Christmas 2020. Hopefully, more people are more comfortable with holiday gatherings and family parties, perhaps even travel. We remain hopeful that more and more people will feel comfortable coming back here to church. But at the same time, of course, we still live with great uncertainty when it comes to everything, really, from new variants to vaccine boosters, from mask mandates to supply chain disruptions. There are just a lot of unknowns. Whatever your plans or approach to this Christmas, this Christmas, like every Christmas, holds promise, hope that the season will bring good things into our hearts and homes. And so for this season of Advent, we've been looking at the promise of Christmas. When we speak of something or someone as having promise, we believe there's good grounds for great expectations, substantial indication of future success, advantages ahead. A promise creates a sense of anticipation for the future. It fills us with hope for the future, and we need hope if we're going to live with any sense of purpose. A promise is especially powerful when it comes to our relationships. We draw closer to people who keep their promises. When people fail to keep their promises, it hurts our hearts and damages, sometimes even destroys, relationships. So when someone makes a promise to you, the level of anticipation it creates for you depends. It depends on who's making the promise and what your view of their character and their competency is. You know all of this, of, of course, but the point we've been making in this series is God is a God of promises. God can be trusted when he makes a promise. And did you realize that throughout the Bible, God makes hundreds of promises? And while some of God's promises were specific and nuanced and conditional, there was one promise God made over and over again. It is, in fact, the promise of Scripture, and it's this promise that we receive so much else of what we're looking for and longing for when it comes to Christmas. It was, of course, the promise of the Messiah, a Savior. Over thousands of years to thousands of people, God promised a Savior. And because of this overarching promise, the people of Israel lived in a state of anticipation. For all of their faults and failures, despite the chaos and calamity of so much of their history, they lived in a state of anticipation. God made this promise of a savior over and over and over again, and each time he did, he added 
clues. Clues on who it would be, how it would be, where and when it would be. Jesus' birth was predicted and promised over the centuries in myriad ways by all the prophets and patriarchs. And so these Advent Sundays, we've been looking at just some of those scripture verses pointing to the coming of Christ, the fulfillment of all God's promises in a single promise and what that can mean for us this Christmas. Today, we're going to look at the promise of joy. Everyone wants to be happy. We sort of expect this time of year to be a happy time of year. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. But the promise of Christmas is the promise of joy, not happiness. What's the difference? Well, happiness is a temporary emotion of contentment. It comes in reaction to outside influences. It comes and it goes. Joy is different. Joy is a state of being. And to help us take a a closer look at joy, we're going to take a brief look at the book of the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah. Now, if you're new to church or this is your first time back in a long time and you've never heard of the prophet Zephaniah, don't worry about it. Neither have a lot of other church people. He's one of the so-called lesser prophets, not because his book is less important than the other prophets, but simply because it's shorter. It's only three brief chapters. And for the most part, Zephaniah's vision is, frankly, quite dark. It's filled with gloom and doom, not exactly Christmas time reading. But towards the end, the book takes a sharp turn as Zephaniah looks to the future, a bright future. And he writes this, Shout for joy, O daughter Zion. Sing joyfully, O Israel. Be glad and exalt with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. Zephaniah reveals four insights into joy that just might surprise you. First insight, joy is a choice. That's not usually how we think about it, is it? We tend to think it's like happiness. It's conditional. It's conditional on our circumstances. We have no choice. It happens or it doesn't. In fact, Zephaniah underscores that it is absolutely a choice we make for ourselves. We absolutely decide how we will be, circumstances notwithstanding. You can choose to have joy even when the circumstances don't warrant it. For instance, for many people, Christmas time is not at all jolly and merry and bright. You may feel the pressure of the season as your work picks up this time of year, or family expectations expand, or family conflict spikes up. Maybe this Christmas you may have needs that have become much more needy, past hurts that haunt you at the holidays, an empty chair at the table 
this Christmas. And yet, even in the face of such challenges, God commands us to rejoice. How? How are we supposed to do that? Well, St. Paul tells us in today's second reading. St. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. We don't find joy in our circumstances. We find joy in the Lord. We rejoice and find joy in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It comes as a gift from God, which we choose to receive. And we can choose to receive it anytime. This leads to the second surprising insight from Zephaniah. Zephaniah says, shout for joy, sing joyfully, be glad and exult. Exalt, sing, shout. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about worship. Joy is a choice and it's given expression. It's built up, it's reinforced through worship. Now, feel free to refrain from shouting while you're here at church, but you know, you should be singing. You really should. I always say people who come to church and don't sing are like people who go to the gym and don't work out. (laughs) Seriously. Joy is strengthened through praising God, especially singing. And we can do that no matter the circumstances or whatever is going on. Think about it. We sing at funerals. We can sing God's praises no matter our circumstances. When life is good and we receive good news, we can praise God for it. And when things are bad or difficult or disappointing, we can praise God through it. Even when you don't feel like praising God, do it anyway because there's incredible power in it. You know, when you have a setback at work, bad news from the doctor, a financial reversal, a friend lets you down at school, when life just isn't going your way, many people, maybe most people, tend to focus on the person or the circumstance involved, often amplifying the problem that's stealing our joy. It's incredibly easy to do. I should know. I do it all the time. And let me tell you, you know what happens when you focus on whatever it is that's stealing your joy? (laughs) It gets worse. The other option is to focus our attention on the Lord, and we do that in worship. Then Zephaniah gives us a third insight into joy. He says, the Lord, your God, is in your midst. The promise of Christmas is that God is already present in our lives. Joy is the choice I make in response to an awareness of that presence. God is in our midst. He not only gives joy, he is joy. And as we become increasingly aware of this presence, our joy can expand. But for that to happen, you've probably got to slow down. You know, if you struggle with this, have you ever considered maybe, just maybe, one reason is because you never slow down enough to give yourself a chance. There's so much clutter, you can't see him. There's so much noise, you can't hear him. 
One of the most common pieces of advice when it comes to prayer is just to slow down and be silent. Slow down and be silent. And finally, Zephaniah gives us one other insight into joy. He says, the Lord your God will rejoice over you with gladness. Did you know that God rejoices over you? God sings about you? Did you know that? God, the almighty, absolute maker of absolutely everything, absolutely takes delight in you. If this is your first church experience in a long time, maybe you've thought that God was mad at you, and that's why you stayed away. So please hear this if you don't hear anything else today. God delights in you. God delights in you because he loves you and he wants you to know his, his delight in you. That in itself is reason for joy. So this week, three things to consider. First thing, sing. <laughs> sing. Choose joy by praising God through song while you're driving, washing the dishes, walking the dog. Of course, this time of year, everybody loves carols. Sing Christmas carols this season. And you can always avail yourself of our worship music here at church. We have a Nativity Spotify account that you can check out. I have no idea what Spotify is. <laughs> but I am reliably told we have an account, as it turns out, and you can check it out, and there, apparently, all the music from church can be found. Worship strengthens our joy, and music is a great way to worship. Second, spend a quiet time each day with the Lord. Find a place where you can be quiet, if just for a few minutes a day, each day, this Advent. Another powerful practice can be Eucharistic adoration. We have adoration here in our chapel every Saturday, 3 to 6 p.m., and Sundays, 9 to noon. It's going on right now. It's just a simple, quiet time with the Lord. Third, share the joy. My mother always said, your sorrows can be borne alone, but joy, joy must be shared. Share the joy. Share the joy by inviting a friend or family member who doesn't have a church to our church to join us here on Ridgely Road this Christmas Eve. It's going to be amazing, especially the music. I've already heard some of it. It's amazing. You'll be glad you came. You'll be glad you made the invitation. And that invitation, by the way, is ultimately an invitation to go beyond the often frustrating, sometimes futile search for happiness to choose joy instead. In today's gospel, John the, John the Baptist, the herald of our Advent season, makes a promise to his friends and followers that's actually the number one promise of Advent. It's really what Advent is all about. The people were filled with expectation about whether John was the Christ. And John answered, no, I'm not. There is one who is coming who is mightier. 
That's a promise we don't just look to and hope for out in some dim and distant future. That's a promise we can live our lives in. We can live our lives in anticipation. We can live our lives in anticipation of the great things God is doing. And that's just a great way to live.